Welcome to Christian Warrior Talk, proudly presented by Christian Warrior Mission. Hosted by former Navy SEAL, SWAT officer, and atheist, now a warrior for Jesus Christ, Pastor Jason Perry. This is more than just a podcast. It's a spiritual vanguard where we intentionally set aside the hustle of our daily lives to come together. We gather to study the Bible, share in heartfelt prayer, and engage in meaningful discussions about all things Christian, homesteading, prepping, and self-defense. Lock shields with us, and together, we will hold the line. And now, let's meet your host, Pastor Jason Perry. You are listening to Patriot Crusader Mission, where Christian warriors are forged. Sponsored by Patriot Crusader Mission Patreon page. Join us and become the Christian warrior you are called to be. In this episode, I am joined by Pastor Ken Graves, where we talk about how God texted us, Ken's take on Wild at Heart author John Eldridge and his teachings, why porn is bad for marriage, and what should a Christian warrior do about anger. Strengthen on us, strengthen on us, strengthen on us. At my signal, unleash hell. Do or do not. There is no try. All right. Long time no see. It's been a while. <laughs> So you've been one of the busiest men out there. Um, you've been going through your summer um, camp series with all your different age groups. How is that? I mean, I know that's, I mean, from working with adults to the different ages, I mean, you go pretty young. Uh, you know what? My, so much happened with me spiritually when I was just 13. I realized because of that how, how pivotal that period of time is. And so I'm always grateful to have the opportunity to invest in our teens both the, even just the, you know, early uh, junior high school people. That, for me, that was the most significant uh, period. I started reading the Word. So I believe if we can get them to realize that God has texted them, get them into a relationship with God at that age, save them all kinds of trouble, and, and give them the greater opportunity to know the Lord longer. So it was, it was a good time. And, I, and, and our camp is always about creation. Getting our kids out under the big sky, get them up on a mountain, make them work to get places. It's amazing how little walking our, our, our Western civilization deans actually do. Yeah. So and then when, when you, you, know, you put them on a, no other way to define it, but a forced march, you know, around, <laughs> around Sears Island. <clears throat> actually experience fatigue. What is this? And then, you know, but then you talk about how that, that was the classroom for the Son of God with his 12. They walked. Yeah. Yeah. So getting them under the big sky, talking to them about Abraham, looking at the stars, you know, all, all of that. That's kind of a big deal. I'm, I'm glad, really glad to have the opportunity, but I'm also real glad that it's uh, behind us and, and camps are all done. Yeah. A couple of things I want to talk about there. One, I think it's really smart and catchy that you say that God text, texted us. You know, and just really a good way to put that into context yeah. on how personal that is, yeah. right? And uh, I, I think that's a really good thing there. And I do think that outside of the Catholic Church, um, most people forsake and give up their the young kids. Unfortunately, I think, um, you know, a lot a lot of Christians don't, or you know, really like I didn't get any handoff. I didn't wasn't raised in the church and do any of that stuff. That's me. But 
I just feel like a lot of people, they do light and bubbly, and I don't think that they go and do the things that I know that you guys do. Yeah, these, these things need to be done. Yeah. The, again, my own personal experience. One of the things, Jay, I, when I was a kid, I was observing adults, and I, I concluded, I remember saying this to God in prayer, but I concluded these people, they, they grow up and they've forgotten what it was like to be a kid. Mm-hmm. They clearly don't remember any of this. They they arrive at adulthood and have it's like their memories erased about what was it like to be smaller than everybody, right? And and to be at everyone else's mercy and other people's choices. And and I prayed a prayer when I was a kid and said, Lord, please don't let that happen to me. Help me to remember. Help me to remember. I want to. I want to hang on to this perspective. And the Lord, I believe He answered my prayer. I think that um, you know. Introducing them to the fact that God makes himself known. We wouldn't know anything about God if he hadn't made himself knowable. And he does that. But the question is how? How does God reveal himself? How has he? So number one, God reveals himself. I always tell him CCT. If you can just remember those four, three, three letters, CCT, that God reveals himself by creation. That creation testifies to us that there is a creator. Right. Creation testifies to us that there's Order, there must be an orderer. As Einstein said, there's no other option but that the universe has to be the product of a mind. Um, but creation won't tell you his name, his plan. You can't really get to know him. You only know that he's big. He's, and let's uh, say in Maine, he's really smart. Yeah. Or New England, right? <laughs> Wicked he's, smart. Wicked smart. <laughs> That's all we know. <clears throat> Creation's going to tell us that. But additionally, God reveals himself by conscience. There is so much written in our heart about God, about our own existence, about right and wrong. There's in our little baby downstairs, your little baby being <clears throat> knew where to find us. <clears throat> Excuse me, that was at our eyes. Yeah. Even when she was a little tiny infant. Yep, yep. And she knows the difference between a happy face and an angry face. You see her looking for you and then find you at your eyes and smile. That is innate knowledge. It's pre-programming. And in the same way we have that spiritually, we know that there is a God we got to do business with. Everybody knows that. But again, conscience only tells you that he's good. and We fall short. But conscience won't tell you his name, his plan, what he's like. So in order for us to actually know God, creation and conscience only tell us there is one. Us to know God, God has to make himself known to us, and he has done that by texting us. CCT, creation, conscience, and text. God has texted us. God has delivered an integrated message system to us in written form, a, a, a book that is miraculous. It's, it, I am amazed at the morons who want to talk about the Bible. I know it's got all these contradictions that is ridiculous. That what they call contradictions are never contradictions. And the very fact is you've got a book that was put together over a 1,400-year period. The authors are spread out, 66 books, 40 different authors, and they're spread out by time. They're spread out by you know vocation and culture. The only thing they all have in common, other than the fact that they're all Jews, is that they were holy men. As the New Testament says, holy men wrote, as the Spirit of God gave him utterance. And that reality, that we have a book that, think about it, 66 books making up one. 
66 books, 40 different authors, and that they could write and uh, over a period of 1,400 years, and what they wrote is complete harmony, a, a single message that flows all the way through. That the, you know, the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and, and, and that there aren't arguments, debates within the Bible. There are not. It is the most amazing book, and I, I think America's clergymen would do better and they quit studying about it and actually studied it, actually read it, made it their business to know the book. There's a difference between uh, theology and actually knowing God. You know, imagine yourself married to, um, imagine just, you know, being, being married to your wife and, and, and just spending your life studying about her and never actually knowing her. Right. You know, any, what kind of relationship is that? You, you, um, you only... Anyway, I, I, I've been bugged for a long time with the product of our seminaries. I've been bugged. And, and add to that the stuff that has, in, that has in, invaded the seminary, all the, the wicked money of the people. George Soros's. I don't know if you know that our seminaries have been bought. Our seminaries and any professor who's actually a Bible-believing professor in these seminaries who takes a stand is dismissed or disciplined. What you know, they like to call critical theory has crept in. The whole Frankfurt School has crept in and invaded America's institutions that are supposed to be training clergy. And all they do is destroy the faith of some. They would do well to actually study the Bible like children are encouraged to. We encourage children to do what the seminarians won't do, the clergymen don't do. And lives are changed as a result of it. The same thing that works... For little children. What is it? David the psalmist said, How shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. It's the same thing that works with the drug addicts that we work with residentially. If you hide the word of God, if you just consume the word, this integrated message system we call the Bible, God has texted humanity. And, and the text from God change us. Well, <clears throat> I completely agree with that. One of the things that I think um, you do so well that so many don't is you lead by example, right? Like uh, up until I saw you speak on YouTube, I had a hard time, even people who I respected as intellectuals and as solid Christians, I didn't, I couldn't identify with them. I couldn't say that is a man I would like to be like, right? They were always kind of like, you know, the whole beta male thing. You know what I'm saying? And their walk as Christians, is they really took that meek word yeah. and ran with that, and they're not bold in the slightest. Yeah. And I, as a as a warrior and as a as as an alpha male, that just creeps me out, man. I'm with you, you know. And I just feel like, and I said the word feel, and you're going to kill me for that. <laughs> I, 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 but this one is not. I mean. For me, <laughs> I think, right, it seems. I, yeah, it seems, I think that that is the problem, and I think that that's what it's invaded the seminaries. I've never been to one, so I don't know, but if, if I can stack them all up against the wall and go seminary, 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 and then you see the other guys out there who are guys like yourself, the self-educated guys who went out there and who've been walking with the Lord, who know the Lord, you know, 
that is where I see a difference. I see a difference in you. I see a difference in John Eldridge. I see a difference in, in others. You know, uh, I just, in, in my course to stay plugged into different mentors, you know, I'm fortunate that I have you here. Um, you know, I, you know, but you've been busy. So I, I went back and I started looking at some of the John stuff a little critically. Cause I remember we had a conversation where uh, you were like, yeah, I've seen some guys who just totally run off. Oh, yeah. And do, can you unpack that a little bit for well, me? You know, I know I love, you hate love, that term too. But. I love, I, <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to retrain the whole world to talk. Yeah, I know. But listen, I, I like John Eldridge. A lot of things. He, he's eloquent, gifted man. And he's, I like um, very much like his, his observations about the differences between men and women. That's God's doing. The problem I have with Eldridge is um, he, one of his whole sort of central themes to Wild at Heart is that, you know, men have lost something, which is not untrue. But he comes right down to saying, instead of, we're asking the wrong question. He says, men are asking the wrong question. They're asking what needs to be done instead of asking, what makes me come alive? Yeah. What am I made for? Yeah. That's a stupid question. What yeah. me, any me-centered question yeah. is not at all like Christ, who's the ultimate others-centered. No, he was like, what needs to be done? Father, what needs to be done? And what needed to be done? Well, somebody's got to go to hell in order that everyone can come to heaven. Yeah. And and the to me, that that's it. my only real uh, problem with, with Eldridge is, is I've seen men get a hold of his writings and go, yeah, yeah, what about me? I'm going to Alaska, bye family. (laughs) Or drag the family along. I've seen men uproot their families from healthy, stable churches to go off and pursue some some dream. They they cease to be uh, focused on what needs to be done. And what needs to be done is the manly question. As a matter of fact, no, the question is not, well, what makes... What makes me feel better? <laughs> I, oh, I could, I could get crass. Yeah. Just say, that's just, uh, I'll be tame and say, that's just that's bull crap. It is, the question is, the manly question is, what needs to be done? What do I need to do so that other people can be happy? And what do I need to do that other people can be safe? What, to be others-centered, to be self-sacrificial, that is the theme of our Lord's teaching, and that ultimately... That's where happiness is. And I, I just see a lot of guys in a whole wild at heart thing and their field journals all wrapped up in their self and their um, what makes me come alive? Because I want to be alive. No, shut up. You want to you need to die. Right. The the mission for the man of God is to die. Not I want to come alive. Right. And I and I think you just nailed that right there and you drew the die to self. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And by dying to self and living for others, right? Which, you know, when we covered this a little bit before, warriors and military members and, and cops and first you want to do that every day. Exactly. Tangible, intangible ways. Yep. I'm putting myself, my family, everything yep. I have second so others may live. Right. Others that may, you know, which is the PJ saying, you know, so others may live, you know. Um, it's very cool. I happen to think the only easy day was yesterday. It's a slightly cooler one. But, you know, that's the seal motto. But anyways. But, but um, you know, I, I, I started seeing that interwoven in, in a lot of those things. But 
I think him and what you, I think what John and what you teach in in part can be parallel Mm -hmm. with get out of your computers, get out of the house, get out in God's creation is what he's, what the underlying theme should be. You're going to find God. You're not going to, I mean, you're going to find God wherever he wants to find you. And and there's an adventure (laughs) to be had. Yes. We're called to it and we're called to risk. And he he is so eloquent on stuff like that. I, I absolutely agree with that. But when it comes to uh, us dying to self, yeah. the alternative to that, either we, this is the deal with us, this is the deal with every husband, this is the deal with every one of us as, as fathers, either we die or we kill. Either we die yep. to desires and ambition and selfish stuff, or we kill everybody that we say we love. Either I die and remain faithful, to a good woman who's faithful to me, or I in the name of what makes me come alive, go off and uh, find me a newer model or models. Right. Collect them all. Right. There's this theme of Saturday morning uh, advertising, wasn't it? Collect them all. Yeah. And there's a bunch of us who would, in fact, collect them all. All right. the beautiful women of the world. One is never enough. Either we die to that or we kill we kill everybody we see alone. We kill our kids. We put our needs in front of theirs. We kill. And that, that is not what Christ has called us to. He called us to, uh, and he told us, anyone who wants to actually save his life will lose it. Anyone who will lose his life will find it. Turns out, dying is the way to living. Right. That's where real happiness is found. Right. Self-denial. Yeah, I, I would, you know, <clears throat> to look back in history and say, who... Who the, the most selfish, self-centered, whatever, um, has made an imprint on the world um, would not, you know, there be few and far between, whereas you have the Lincolns, the Washingtons, um, you know, who have gone out there and, and done great things for others. And, and I think that, you know, this struck me as I, you know, one of the things that really pisses me off is how much people put stock in military leadership. Military leadership, uh, I'm sorry, is sadly lacking. I think we're seeing this in the news when you saw how Mattis and McGraven and all these people turned on on Trump when they, you know, instead of teaching unity and or, or you know, when we're at our most divided, they struck at him. Um, because they deal with positional authority, right? They lead with a title. They lead with, I can throw you in jail, I can take away your freedom. I can dock your pay. I can do all these things. Right. And they don't lead by example. And then I'm like, wait wait a minute. Like, we're supposed to lead by example. Who led by example? Jesus Christ led by example. And if we all followed his perfect model, I mean, there is no better model. Yeah. Like, I'm like, this whole time I'm looking, like, who do I want to lead like? Who do I want? And I'm like, it's right there on the Bible, man. Right you know, the, the, the difference between... Um, and this is and this is the danger for the soldier, for the law enforcer. The danger is that in dealing with evil, they have one tool, as the scripture says, he bears not the sword in vain. <clears throat> that is appropriate. And that's where that needs to be applied. In other words, duress and the threat of do what I'm telling you or I will hurt you. That is a tool and that is necessary in dealing with the world of evil. The problem is... The law enforcer and the soldier who tries to apply that to family or anything else in the world. And that's not leadership. Right. 
the kind of leadership, you know, when you're interacting with a wicked world and people that want to do harm, we push them. We say, you go, go where I'm telling you. Get hands, hands behind your back. We, we, we tell, on the ground, we push them, we order them. Everyone else that we're going to actually lead, we must pull them. Yeah. <clears throat> we have to pull them. <clears throat> There's the Son of God did push. The Son of God did, in fact, make a whip and drove people out of his father's house. He hurt their feelings. He stung them. He, take, he took the time to braid a whip of cords, and he hurt people's feelings with it. Right. There were people that needed to be stung and drove, and I've often speculated that that's where Saul of Tarsus probably first was stung. That little Pharisee was probably around when yep. the Lord cleaned his father's house. And uh, when, when Christ confronts him on the road to Damascus, he says, isn't it hard for you to kick against the, you know, the cattle prod? When, did, when was he first prodded? I bet it was back then. But the Lord drove people out of his father's house, which, by the way, is the only way to, to you, the only direction you can actually drive is out. Yep. But he did that in order that he could lead others in. Driving people out in order to lead others in. He said, my sheep, they know my voice, they hear and they follow. Real leadership is, is pulling. That's why um, you know, fathers are told, uh, fathers, don't frustrate, don't exasperate your children. King James Version, provoke not your children to wrath, but rather bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Bringing, not sending. There's too too many of us in leadership. Just send. This is um, this is all right. Remember, remember the um, the centurion, the highest commendation yep. given by Christ to anybody. And what is the one thing it takes to please God? It's faith. The highest commendation. This is real irony. The greatest commendation for faith was given to a Gentile centurion in Capernaum. At the same time. The greatest reproof for unbelief and lack of faith was proclaimed by Christ against Capernaum. This is real irony. The town with the greatest rebuke from Christ for its unbelief had in it a Gentile soldier, an officer of the Roman army, who received the greatest commendation for faith. You read his story in uh, Luke chapter 7, Matthew chapter 8. In Luke chapter 7, the centurion, he's got a slave that's dear to him, a slave, not a servant, not a hired person, a slave. But he's dear to him. There's, there's a, a master who loves his slave. That, that slave's a person, and he loves him. He is willing to spend all of his uh, political capital to appeal to the Jewish community leaders to get this rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, to come and heal, because he's healing people. And so, you know, they, a, a, mess, a delegation comes. They send messengers, and they appeal to Christ, about this man, and they make the case he's worthy, you know, of this. Yeah. He loves our people. He built us a synagogue. So they state the worthiness of the centurion, which is really stark contrast with the centurion. He finds out, somebody runs ahead and tells him, the rabbi's coming to your house. He knows that that is going to cause massive inconvenience with the whole ceremonial defilement. And mm-hmm. Rabbi's going to come to his house. He's going to have to go through a process of cleansing and he sends somebody, he gives the order, and he is, <clears throat> he's the kind of leader that can look at a slave or a soldier who is under his authority and say, listen to me, 
go to him, tell him this, tell him I am not worthy that you should come to my house. Neither thought I myself worthy to come and talk to you in person. But it's unnecessary because I also, this is the key, I also, I like you, am a man set under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to one, come, and he comes. I say to another, go, and he goes. I say to my slave, do this, and he does it. So you just say in a word, and my slave will be healed. This, this was, um, he made the son of God marvel. I mean, you think about it. He's kind of seen a lot. He's God in human yeah. form. And yet he, he marvels. He actually stops trafficking and goes, did, did you hear that? This, I think I want to point out to you about that, is that the centurion, this man whose weapon, whose primary tool is a sword, a man who does, in fact, have to use duress, is a man who is known, first of all, that he loves this slave. He's known for love of the slave. Two, he's known for love of the people he rules over. He's sent there by Rome to rule over these Jews, but the testimony of the Jews is he loves our people. He served us. He is a servant leader. He built us a synagogue. He used his means. He used his resources, his connections. He built us this this synagogue. They recognized their debt to him. He served them while protecting them. He was not a tyrant over them. But at the same time, his humility, what he says to Christ is that I'm a man under authority. He doesn't see himself as a man in authority. He's like, you know what? I'm a man in authority. I speak and people do what I say. He goes, I'm a man under authority. That's why I have authority. I believe we as men, uh, as husbands, as leaders, as fathers, are without authority unless we're, in fact, under it, unless we are submitted to it. You know how it works in the military. If, if, you're, if the chain of command is broken, somebody has no authority. Now, the authority that a person has and acts in is conferred on them from above them in that chain. Well, so it is in reality. If we are out from under God's authority, we are absolutely without authority, and all of a sudden we're just, you know, we're, we're, we're king crap sitting on our own toilet throne with a plunger yep. in our hand like a scepter and our little scroll beside us we write our edicts <laughs> on. Is that a mental picture? Yeah, it's Made it up myself. But, 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 you know, we're barking and yelling at everybody and, and then accusing everybody of being the rebels. You kids are unsubmissive, bunch of rebels. My wife's unsubmissive. Well, maybe the problem is you. Maybe it's not them. If you're out from under authority, you have no authority. But a man who is himself submitted, and his children know it somehow, Everybody knows that a man who is actually submitted to the authority of God is somebody that people will follow. And the other thing I wanted to point out to you in that is not only all of that about the centurion, that he he was a man known for love, that he served, he was humble, he saw himself as a man under authority, but that he also recognized that in Christ. He said, and Luke is the one who includes the word, he said, I also. He's like, I share this in common with you. I'm a man under authority. That's why I have it. So that's why I know I give it orders and orders are obeyed. He recognized that Jesus Christ was under the authority of the one who sent him, that he was under the authority of his father. And he he kept saying it. He said it continually. Go through the Gospel of John. It's in every single page. I annually read it to the whole church. I'll go through the entire Gospel of John and just read every verse where he says, my father sent me. 
And this is the work of God, that you believe in the one that he has sent. Everything he was saying, everything he was doing, he was doing the will of, as a matter of fact, there's a quote for you. Jay, think about this one. Uh, a law enforcer, chief inspector, Scotland Yard, a century and a half ago, was a brilliant man uh, named um, Robert Anderson, later knighted, Sir Robert Anderson, knighted for his achievement. He brought the crime rate in London down. He solved murders. He brought justice he was a genius, and he was also a very godly man. They consider him a lay preacher and author. He wrote books extensively. Brilliant man. Sir Robert Anderson said, and I quote, the only perfect life that was ever lived was lived by one who did perfectly the will of another. The Son of God doing the will of his Father, submitting himself to his Father, he, under his Father's authority, has absolute authority. And a centurion is the only one that recognizes it. It's like nobody else picked up on it. A centurion hears him speaking and goes, he's doing what he was sent to do. He's like me. Christian Warrior Talk is sponsored by Trident Shield, your trusted ally in violence preparedness. Trident Shield safeguards your loved ones with expert training and consulting. Trident Shield, defending faith through preparedness because together we save lives. I think most self-centered people and most um, people read under authority misread that as I have authority. Right. Right. And it's such the way it's stated is on purpose. Yeah. It's humility. You know, here he is being humble, saying not I have the power. Power has been given to me. That's right. Right. And I think that that is the key. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think really that, you know, Again, I would love to just do a segment on leadership uh, with with you just because I think that all leaders, mostly not all leaders, I'd say that a vast majority of them have it wrong. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, the whole death to oneself is truly the key to it. Yep. Um, so I, want, I wanted this, I wanted to save some time, a, a good amount of time. And I really wanted to get into something that I struggled with my whole life, anger. When I was an atheist, the fuel that I burned on was anger. Yeah. Uh, the angrier I could get, the better things I could do, right? Um, now, a lot of them were destructive. Like, I made it through SEAL training on anger, yeah. on everyone who yeah. ever doubted me. Yeah, guy can channel, channel yeah. that, right? Right. It was there, and it was a friend, but it was also my worst enemy, mm-hmm. right? It was a drug. Yeah. It really was a drug for me. As I, It could be when there was a challenge, it got me over, but when there was no challenge, it was self-destructive. Right. And I really feel like as men, you know, we are, you know, we, we have this wrathful side of us that we have to negotiate and realize when it's good and when it's bad. That's very true. You know, so, um, you know, it's okay if you got to check something, it's fine. Um, but I really think that if we could spend some time talking about negotiating anger. So one of the things that I want to compliment you on is I watched you try to give a sermon the other day, your, not sermon, your, your Bible study. And for an hour, you got your face kicked in by technology and sound. And never once did I get the visual appearance that you were, would have been me. I would have been cussing up a storm. I would have been, you know, if you're the Looney Tunes, I would have been a Tasmanian devil. You know, spinning around, going, my, you kept cool, brother. And that was so inspiring to me. 
that you were able to, no, no. As a guy who has to deal with this, I am a caveman, right? I am a simple hammer and chisel caveman. I kick down doors and I've had to learn all this stuff. And as this stuff around me doesn't work the way it's supposed to, I lose my mind. Like, how can something that's worked 6,000 times in a row, all of a sudden it's doing something totally different? Yeah. And just, you know, if you could take me to that, just to that example, or what you did to be like, you know what? I mean, because, brother, you led. I I got more out of that sermon than some of the ones that that are great that you talk about because I got to see you in trial. You couldn't hear me do anything. No No audio at all. I got to see you under in trial walk it. Which is so, because, and I was just doing a Bible reading where it's like, kids don't always remember what you say, but they always imitate what you do. Yeah. Well, when I, I can tell you it wasn't always like that. In my youth, I was an angry young man as you were. And I was uh, full of bitterness and a longing for vengeance. It was most of my dreams, <laughs> and if, I always say, if anybody ever saw my sketches, I would just sit around and sketch. Me being big enough and muscular enough to, to be choking my enemies and, and uh, taking my vengeance. I, they were disturbing, all my sketches. They were, <clears throat> I don't know if they were therapeutic. They were actually just disturbing. And anybody saw them, I probably would have been in an institution somewhere. <laughs> I kept those to myself. <laughs> Didn't share them. But, and I had this, <clears throat> I, was, I was a skinny kid too. I was really skinny. and hated the fact that, you know, you're a kid and every single adult can overpower you. Hated right. that. <clears throat> I, was, I had, uh, I found a, a deflated speed bag at the dump. I got through the trash. I found this, the bladder was busted, wouldn't hold air. I don't care. Filled it with dirt. And it hung it in my room and would beat on it. And beat, every time I passed through, it just hit it some more. Just hit it and it barely swing. It's just a big sandbag. But it would cut my little knuckles. I'm just a middle school kid. I cut them. I liked them bleeding, and that thing was just, I leave my blood on it. It was a hanging scab. It was the nastiest yeah. thing. And and there it hung. It uh, sort of epitomized all my anger and my, so much uh, rage inside. But as I started becoming really acquainted with Christ, at the same time reading the Word and really getting to know the Lord and hearing His call, receiving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who did more to change my perspective. It is written, the fruit of the Spirit is such things as self-control. It's in there. Love, joy, yeah. peace, men, uh, temperance. And, um, these, these traits aren't something you go, well, i got to work on this. I mean, it just really comes down to the work of the Holy Spirit, but also a change of perspective. The change of perspective that um, I came to recognize in Christ, he's angry at times, he was grieved, but he's only ever angry on behalf of others. I kind of observed <laughs> that my anger was on behalf of self. Yeah. On behalf of me, I'm being disrespected. Disrespect, I'm put up, don't you talk to me like that. Think about <laughs> if anybody's patronizing you, yeah. if you've been um, downtrodden, if you've been under someone else's thumb. People, you know, in, in the stratification of human society, even in a little rural school in Maine, and you're you're aware that you're down there on the bottom, and there are people that are pretty sure they're better than you, 
and they're wiping their feet on you. You get this attitude like, you, don't you ever, don't you talk to me. So then even when you're boy to boy in a, in a showdown, you know, in, on the playground, you try to out inhale each other and inflate like a blowfish, you know. You try right. To go, oh. You go, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like tomcats hunch yourself up and stand the hair up and go sideways. Like Bears get big. They stand <laughs> up. Yeah. I'm big. I'm all. I'm awesome. You don't want none of this. We try to out-height each other or whatever. And in the contest, I came to realize in the study of Christ and his life that he's doing the exact opposite. That he was, he, he would, even when Satan confronts him, and uh, attempts to patronize him in the test in the wilderness, the very first one, where the voice of God had said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Out in the, led by the Spirit out of the wilderness, out of the desert, and out in the desert, Satan says, if you're the son, because I'm not, I'm not totally buying it. I mean, really let yourself go. Look how little you are, you poor little thing. Look at you. You're, you're hungry. You're, tra- you're starving. You're mortal. you got to do something. Command these stones that they be made bread. And instead of retaliating, well, don't you talk to me like, you know, let, inst- yeah. you know pe- people put stickers on their car, my other car, on their beater, because they don't want that. This is not the real me. My other car is a, whatever, it's a Harley. My other car is a tank. Um, Christ doesn't go, let me tell you, let me tell He doesn't inflate like a blowfish. He does the exact opposite. He humbles himself and goes, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And he identifies himself as a man, even though he's so much more than that. He's standing there as a man. He is doing manhood. He's doing humanity. He is being a human, and he takes on Satan himself as a man. And he responds with humility. In fact, every there's a patronizing sort of overtone to each of the three tests, each of the three temptations. You know, jump, angel will catch you, you little, you know, you made a little lower than the angels. The angels will save you. Just And um, all of those tests, the final one is, look, um, you know, it takes him to an exceeding high mountain, shows him the kingdoms of the world and the glory of all those kingdoms and says to him, all these are mine, I can give them to whoever I will. Just bow down and worship. All I want is a little respect. Just acknowledge that I am. Bow down and worship me. And the Son of God as a human goes, yeah, get out of my face. At that point, he goes, get out of my face. Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, I shall worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. He dusted that dough. He pounded him. And he did it as a human, but he did it with humility. He does it, his, his humility. I began to observe in the scripture as, as a young guy that he's only angry on behalf of other people. He's angry at the hardness of the hearts of the religious, that they don't care about this guy who was in the in this, uh, synagogue on the Sabbath. He's got this withered hand, and the Lord can heal it. He, he, he looked at them. He was grieved. He was indignant, King James Version says, at the hardness of their heart. They've got rules. They've got loopholes in the law that you can rescue an animal. You, you, if your donkey falls into a, a, a well, you can work on the Sabbath to get him out. He's bugged. How do you care more about an animal? You've got loopholes in the law to take care of an animal. You don't care about a human being created in the image of God. He was angry on behalf of others. I recognize that most of my anger is on behalf of self. And I think that's part of the battle, realizing most of us don't have an anger problem. What we have is a pride problem. It's not an anger problem. It's a self-love problem. 
there were people that come to me and go, I'm just, I deal with a lot of anger. I go, no, you don't. You deal with a lot of pride. That's your problem. I know you think it's anger. You're thinking, I've got this wicked temper. You know, I just lose it. I've just, I've got issues. No, your issue is you're prideful. You think you're more important than everybody else. And you can't let anybody talk down to you. You can't let anybody get one over on you. Uh, you got a self-love problem. And that's only going to be addressed by the help of the Holy Spirit. But there's a right anger. You know, the scripture says plainly, the apostle Paul writes, be angry, but sin not. Be angry, but don't let that, don't channel that into sin. I mean, we're all, anger wells up within all of us. And there's a righteous anger, righteous indignation. There are injustices that we ought to be tuned into. We ought to stand up for people who are being victimized. It is right for us to be angry on behalf of others who are being wronged. It is wrong for us to be angry on behalf of self. And that is 99% of what most of us men are dealing with. And that's self and our obsession with self and our pride and our belief that, you know, if I, you know, if I let this guy do this, if I let him get away with that, next thing you know, he's going to be taking my lunch. Right. If, I, if I let this go, we all act like we, we live as if we're all in a maximum security prison, Right. If we let this guy take our, our lunch, next thing he's going to be raping us. Right. So we, have to, we have to stick up for ourselves. It's really not true. What we have to do is actually learn to humble ourselves. Humility is the answer to so much of what we think is our anger problem. But then there's other anger that ought not to be um, fire that shouldn't be put out, should be actually channeled into righteous uh, activity. There are things that we need to be mad about and stand up for. I heard a, a song recently, a Warren Barfield song, where he writes about, um, uh, I cut my teeth on the back of an old church pew. I learned to walk in the ways of light and truth. And I was told not to speak till I was spoken to. I try to be a good boy, but I ain't a boy no more. And I've seen some things that a man just can't ignore. And this world is going to know what I'm standing for. It's a great song, but uh, you can't, by my silence and you can't steal my voice. You can't keep me quiet. I will speak God's word. You try to beat me down, tell me to shut my mouth, but there's a time to speak and the time is now. So I absolutely believe there are things that we ought to be bugged with. We ought to be. People are being victimized. Women and children are being victimized. Little kids are being enslaved. They're, the injustice of what's going on with sex, tra slavery has made a worldwide comeback as the Western civilization has abandoned the very Christian ethic that brought slavery to an end. And, man, we ought to be mad. There are so many things that are, that are wrong that are being done. And the other thing we got to remember, too, Jay, is vengeance. The Bible does not ever tell us vengeance is wrong. Vengeance is not wrong. It's just not ours. It's right, but it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. Ultimately, every offense is against him. And we come to the place where we realize, okay, God's got, their big payday is coming for everybody. I don't have to accelerate it. I don't have to make it happen. I don't have to collect. Payday is guaranteed. It's coming for every single human who does not get their sin forgiven. So knowing that, actually resting in that, has put out so many fires in my heart, you know, I believe that there's a right kind of anger and a right kind of zeal that should compel us to self-sacrifice. It should compel us to act in wisdom on behalf of others. 
But there's this other kind of anger that is at its, at its real, at its core, it's a love of self. And my rights are being violated. And I can't let that happen. So it, I, I also believe we have to check. We've got to do an internal sort of inventory all the time with the help of the Holy Spirit to make sure that we're not acting on behalf of self and that we're not standing. You know, there are people who think we're selfish, Christians right now during the so-called pandemic, that we're that we who demand our religious freedom are selfish and we don't care about the safety of the public. You know, there's that whole that whole spin on reality. And I have to check my heart before I challenge the governor, before I sue the governor. Mm-hmm. Is this on behalf of the nation? Is it on, is, is my anger my stand on behalf of others? And do I am I am I or am I just doing this because I'm not letting you push me around. And that kind of inventory, I, I believe it's important for us to have the help of the Spirit of God inside, convicting us and shining a light on what's really going on with us. Because otherwise, we're, we're prone to self-deception. And a man can convince himself that he is actually doing God's work. That's what the jihadists are doing. They've convinced themselves. They're doing God's business, lopping the heads off, raping and murdering. So you know, the capacity for self-deception is great within all of us. That's why we need the Lord in us. We need the Spirit of God in, on the inside, convicting us. So one of the things I, in that that you said that I really think we need to talk a little bit more about <clears throat> is when the Holy Spirit works on you yeah. and it takes away something that's plaguing you or you know a desire that wasn't there. So, for example, porn you know, the desire to look at porn or listen to harsh music. I've experienced this myself. Um, when anger was my fuel, I would listen to the most angry, hateful music I could possibly find. Yeah. Matter of fact, one of my favorite songs was from a band called Slayer, which they're Satanists. Yeah. Uh, and we have a song, God Hates Us All. And that was my anthem. <laughs> when I needed to go to level 10 of anger, yeah. that's what I went to. And one day, without me trying, that song repulsed me. Excellent. And I could not listen to it. That's that. That yeah. is the Lord. You know, and He does that. He's the one that changes our perspective. I but just felt so wrong. I didn't try. It grieved. It all of a sudden it grieved you. Yes. Yes. All of a sudden you're you're sharing His grief on the inside. Wait a minute. That's not right. And that happened overnight. Yeah. Like the night before, I was going to it, right? And the next day, I'm like, "What am I listening to? <laughs> like, that is awful." Yeah. And now I am. I'm in the garage trying to get my workout on, and I can't even listen to music anymore. I have Fall Goliath, and then or Down Goes Goliath, yes, and then man. a couple others, and I'm like out of it because the rest of it's terrible. Yeah. So <laughs> you should connect with Will Cass. He's got the best collection of heavy. He likes screaming, screaming heavy, godly music. That's that's what I need. But you know, I mean, that's just a case in point. Yeah. And then me, I before I even knew that porn was bad, I lived on it. I'm in the military guy, you're overseas, yeah. you know, whatever, and the magazine. It's like, it's like a supplement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a mental health thing the way we, you know, we treated it, yeah. you know. And then that was before, we had, you know, the sex trafficking thing came. Like, for example, you know, I remember following, like, movie stars like Jenna Jameson and all these porn stars that were in all the magazines. They were Americans. Yeah. They're not girls in Croatia in the basement. Right. 
or somewhere else being tortured and forced to do this, or on Epstein's Island or all these other places where these horrible things are happening. And I just remember that uh, a day where that was wrong, that repulsed me as well. Yeah. And it wasn't a try. And it's not like some days I'm not like, wow, you know, whatever. And then I started thinking about what, you know, and that's a whole nother, masturbation can be an entire another segment on this that people don't realize how destructive that is. Yeah. That the energy that you're putting into self there, you should be putting into your relationship. Well said. You know. That was brilliantly said. You just summarized that whole issue right there. You know. Amen. Well, it, 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 it just came to me. I'm like, yeah. I can go take care of myself and right. be done, or I can put this effort into my relationship. Exactly. You're, ripping off a, you're ripping off a person. You're rip, rip, ripping off a relationship. Sex, separate from a relationship, is outside the will of God. And just like a fire can serve us, there's a fire somewhere right now that is generating the power that's working all this gadgetry. Right. So ultimately, the fuel is, you know, it's burning somewhere. But if you let that fire get outside the context, you know, the fire in your wood stove will heat your house. You take it outside there, and it'll consume your whole world. Right. And sex outside of that covenant relationship is destructive. Whether it's virtual or real, whatever, it is outside the will of God. And it's a ripoff, and people settle for it. Yeah, they settle for it and they wonder why their marriages suck, right? And it's like you can sit there and it's like you can take, you know, five to ten minutes by yourself and get rid of a, what you call a need, right? Right? Or you can go down and throw that passion, that effort into your wife Amen. to where you're actually going to go and grow closer together, Amen. right? And so which, when it's which one's over, better? You're better for it. Exactly. Both people are better. You've actually served as well. You've not you've, self. You've served no, someone. You've served, you've grown closer, you've made her want to do that with you, so you're in the end, your, your relationship is stronger for it, Amen. instead of you going your way and her going her way. That's very true. Right? And, you know, I just don't think a lot of people understand that. They don't understand how destructive that can be when all of a sudden you're just using that as your out, yep. as, an, as, a, as an escape, yep. instead of putting the work in to have a healthy relationship where that happens. Exactly. It's so easy. It's like virtual reality. It's like a guy who'd rather, just like a guy who'd rather fight on a simulator. Yep. Than actually go fight. There's no real blood. There's no real cost. And there's no real glory. Yep. It's all, you're, you're, a, you're a regular god in that virtual world. Yeah, I wish I could sprint all day and run around and never exactly. get tired. Because that's, that's where the games are, right? And the porn is just a simulator. Yeah. Yep. And you're a sex god. And, they, and the women want you. And you don't have to do any maintenance of a relationship or a heart. You don't have to actually work through forgiveness. You don't have to serve them. You don't have to, you don't have to you know, invest in them and put their needs first. No. You know, None and, of that. No self-sacrifice. No work. Right. Just all reward. And so consequently, it's not even a worthy reward. Right. So let's go back to the anger issue and talk about righteous anger. All right. Let's talk about what I know that every cop in this country is feeling right now and every yeah. veteran's feeling right now, watching our... How do you not hate Democrats right now? Mm. Right? I find myself spending so much time on the boards debating with moderate Democrats, right. saying Antifa doesn't represent me, saying that BLM doesn't represent These people riding, I'm like, well, your party is funding them. That's right. Your party is allowing them to happen. Yep. Your party is encouraging them and then denying it doesn't happen. So if you vote for them, you fund them, you do that, how is it not you? you know, it's, with, I have been for years to the point where every time anybody tells me they're a Democrat, let's just go right through every single issue, every little 
board and their every little plank in their platform. Let's do it right now, Ken. Quick. You just name an issue where they are not on the wrong side of humanity. Name an issue where they're not on the wrong side of civilization. They're, name an issue where they're not, more importantly, on the wrong side with God. Whether it comes to abortion, the wholesale slaughter of little people that didn't do anything wrong, they have no rights. People have been conceived, and they had no choice in that matter. And their lives, according to that party, don't exist. They're a party that has determined that there's such a thing as a life not worth living. And they, that, you know, that's what the one thing that the entire... Uh, all of the sociologists agree made the Holocaust possible. It was the notion that there's such a thing as a life not really worth living. Yep. The, the loss of the, the, a culture that had traded the concept of the sanctity of life for quality of life concept. This allowed, this allowed Hitler to, to start executing all of the mentally retarded and all of the, the crippled people and in the, what he called useless eaters. The Democrats agree with this. That they're, they're these unwanted people. Those are useless eaters. They're a burden, and they talk about reproductive freedom. Pick any issue on the concept of a biblical concept of ownership that you actually own what is yours. Responsibility. That, that Democrat Party now, it, no, ownership doesn't exist. It's all about the collective, it's all about the state. It's all about we all own everything, and, and none of us own anything. The state has it all, and we need to spread it out. There needs to be an equality everywhere. That is attempted. There's no equality ever. It is always the, the means to generate poverty. It is the means for an elite to become wealthy and control all the resources of the few. One of the things that is driving me, you know, to uh, blood pressure of 6,000 when I stroll around my neighborhood here in Maine is these signs where I believe in science. This house stands for science right. and this and that and the other thing. And it's like, you're... You, you, your Democrat Party believes in science, huh? How many genders are we up to now? Like 45, 50, I think is what I just saw something I, that it was either Charlie Kirk or it was Ben Shapiro talking about how they, you know, the latest sociology, whatever, is saying that there are 50 plus genders now. Right. No, there are two. Yeah. Science proves two. Yeah. Two, right? But you're the science. They're, you're the scientist, right? Science is going to prove when a baby is a, is life. Exactly. Right? And you're going to tell me that you're the party of science. Exactly. You know, it's it's just, you know, they, they base it all around climate change, right? That is that is where majority of their, um, of their argument, they try to sit there and say that we're climate deniers and that this and that. When they're, it, it went from global warming to climate change because the climate is always changing. You know, the Apostle Paul used an expression in writing to young Pastor Timothy at the end of 1 Timothy chapter 6. He warned about oppositions of what is falsely called science. Falsely called science. The whole field of so-called climate science is corrupted by political ambition. And it's, it's the crappiest science ever practiced. Yeah. It's inconsistent, <clears throat> but it, it's kind of like uh, COVID yeah. science. You know, we got a, we have an ongoing pandemic. It's, it is by no means one of the greatest ones or one of the most dangerous ones. It's none of that. It is, it is largely manufactured. It's exaggerated. The science, the lies, the, the skewing of the data. Everybody watching this knows that you can't trust any of the numbers 
of what they claim to be the, the death toll. I don't trust anyone on <laughs> anything related to COVID anymore. You, I you believe my know. eyes and my common sense. You, you know that that, that poor lady um, who, who died from the, the Great yeah. White attack down yeah. off our coast in Southern Maine. Another COVID death. Yeah. Another COVID death right there. Yeah. I mean, uh, indirectly, COVID is what had her out of New Jersey and up here. It, everything, it's a, it's a COVID death. Check the box and inflate the numbers. It translates into more money for every hospital, for more federal funds for every state. It translates into more political power and more justification for tyranny. It is crap science. And it's the same kind of science they're, they've been practicing for decades with regard to climate. And every other, you know, as you rightly said, gender. <clears throat> Pick a issue that the Democrat Party is not on the opposite side of science and God and the revelation of God. There isn't one. They're only ever wrong all the time on every single matter. On homosexuality, what is a family, the so you know, uh, same-sex marriage, all of that, they are the they are the party that booze the existence or any reference to God at their, at their convention. Remember that one a few years ago? They are on the opposite side of God on everything. They are now the party that has com been completely taken over by the ideology that generates poverty everywhere in the name of, uh, what, equality in the name yeah, of social justice? We'll all be poor. Justice? <laughs> yeah, let's make everyone equally poor. They will destroy all the incentive of the producer by punishing the producer for producing and they will reward and destroy all the incentive of the non-producer by rewarding their inactivity and inaction. Man, we put signs at our, our federal government put signs at our national parks that says don't feed the animals because you'll destroy them. You'll destroy the entire ecosystem. You will destroy that individual animal. He will no longer hunt or forage. That animal will become completely dependent upon humans. It is the same thing. Don't feed the lazy. Now, I, that sounds unloving because then you're acting like everybody who is in poverty is there because of laziness. Well, that's not the case. It, it, but, but on a federal level, every time we make it a federal uh, practice to to reward somebody's inactivity. If, if people can't look around and recognize that the entire system is corrupt and half the people in this country now are working really hard to take care of the other half, those percentages are way off. Should we be concerned about the poor? Yes, individually. That is an individual. That is not the government's job. The government's job is not to provide the general welfare. The government's job was to promote the general welfare, as it is in our birth certificate. It is the government's job to make sure people are not exploiting each other. But it's not the government's job to use uh, the sword or the gun and the police power of the state to take from people who work hard in order to reward other people who do not do anything when in reality that becomes the means whereby you can buy more votes. I will take your money to buy more votes for this system that generates poverty. So what do you say to the misguided Christians out there to say that Jesus, you know, when he was speaking about the poor and, you know, um, the rich man getting into heaven and all that, how, how do you square that and how do you explain to them why these people who've made an entire Democrat platform on that? Because that's what they've done. Like, if you're a Christian and you're a Democrat, that's where you're staking because you're not for, you're not for, you know, pro-life, right. 
right? You're not for um, you know same-sex marriage. You're you're you're, you're for same-sex marriage. Right. You're for on all these things that the Bible's clear on. Yeah. But here we're going to stake it on Jesus was for the poor. He was saying rich people can't go to heaven, and blah 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 blah. You know. You know what, number one is they've got, they have reinvented Christ. These people are biblically ignorant, biblically illiterate. The concept of ownership is in the basic Ten Commandments. It is not anyone's job to take what belongs to others in order to give it to someone else. That's not Christian charity. That produces tyranny. The Son of God said, on one occasion, John chapter 12, Judas, who I maintain was a perfect Democrat, Judas observed the generous gift and expression of love as a woman poured out an expensive perfume on the Lord. And Judas said, what a waste. Why was this waste? This should have been sold and the money given to the poor. He is, he is denying her ownership of her property. He is claiming that he is more qualified to take what was hers and actually spend it. And on top of that, he claims indirectly to be more concerned about the poor than Jesus Christ who just allowed that waste. That Christ is the one that should have seen that was waste. That should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And then John, by the Holy Spirit, writes... This Judas said, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was the treasurer and a thief. Judas was about himself. The undiscerning Christian, the biblically ignorant Christian, is easily manipulated by a party that just says, we've got to take care of the poor, and these other people are just all greedy. That is exactly how... How do we counter that message? The, the 12 apostles, all of them, or the other 11, all of them found themselves agreeing with Judas on that occasion. They all heard that and went, yeah... They, plural, the scripture says, murmured against her till the Lord reproved them. And the Lord said to them a couple things. Leave her alone. She just did what she did, preparing me for my burial. She's just taking care of my burial scent before time, before the, before the event. She's getting she's get way ahead of it. That chilled the room. And he, secondly, he goes, and you know what? You, got, you have the poor with you, always. And you, individually, can do whatever you want to help the poor anytime. I'm not going to be around that long. This is a limited time opportunity. She recognized that. So the Lord says, you personally, your personal generosity. He taught that giving to the poor was something that everyone who was a genuine Christian would do. He taught that in the Sermon on the Mount, in the, in the basic, in, the, in what we'd call the manifesto of the kingdom, the Sermon on the Mount. He said, when you give to the poor. Yeah. Not so, if. Yeah. So, and this is where, you know, all Democrats lose their credibility when they want everyone to pay taxes, particularly wealthy Democrats. Mm -hmm. And then they don't cut a check today for that same amount that they could. Why? They could. I mean, I've watched Tucker Carlson sit there and crucify some Berkeley professor who's like, I give money to, to you know, this and that. And he's like, well, why don't you give it to the government? Well, because I give it so you choose charities. Uh -huh. And I don't know how. He goes, well, it's easy. You just make it out for the Department of Treasury. Here, I'll right. show you how to write it out. And she's like, no, no, no. I want, I'm not the 1%. Oh, oh, now we break it down. He started getting to the root of it. So, and it's the hypocrisy of it. It is, the double standard. And, you know, the, the Washington Democrat, the members of Congress who go whatever compels them to go, perhaps they even go idealistically to Congress, 
And it's not long before they're all millionaires. Yeah. They're the richest county, in, the richest, most expensive real estate on this in this nation is all right around D.C. Yep. The property of our servants. The system is intensely corrupt. It's been corrupted by career politicians. It was never intended by the founders that people would go there and stay there. No, you'd be a servant. Exactly. You'd be a representative of your people. people Let's rotate them all through. Yep. We have term limits for the president, as we rightly should, and every one of those people should be term limited. And that's a reality. But the the hypocrisy, you nail it, of uh, the richest people in America telling the rest of us what we ought to be doing. They're free to give away their money anytime they want to to help the poor. But instead, they spend their money to be able to take your money. They spend their money and donate to political campaigns that will guarantee poverty, that will guarantee that your money is taken. Well, and I, I think it's an, an act of selfishness because what they want to do is they want to raise themselves up even higher, That's right? True. If In their mind, if they are acquiring things and they give it away, their stature lowers. That's true. Right, but if they can force everyone else then because they were the ones doing the forcing, they elevate their own stature. Uh, that's very true. You know, Good and that, it's that whole self thing again yep. that you talked about. Yep. You know, so well, we've been at it an hour and four minutes, Ken. Um, I know we got a late start today, and I know that you're backed up on like three weeks of work, but I appreciate you coming in, brother. I've got time. so much stuff here to do uh, going forward. So, hey, everyone, thank you so much. Remember, you're going to be able to find us on iTunes. You're going to be able to find us on Spotify. We're already there, and I'll be up- uploading this tonight. So have a good one. Thank you for listening to Patriot Crusader Mission, where Christian warriors are forged. Sponsored by Patriot Crusader Mission Patreon page. Join us and become a Christian warrior you are called to be. Thank you for standing shoulder to shoulder with us in today's spiritual vanguard on Christian Warrior Talk, presented by Christian Warrior Mission. As we've united in prayer, let's hold fast to the truth in Nehemiah 4.14. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Until next time, let's keep a humble and grateful heart deliberately pursue our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and equip ourselves with the full armor of God. You're not walking this path alone. Lock shields with us, and together we will hold the line. May God bless you all.